Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Rikindi. For those of you who don't know, Rikindi is not just a podcast, but offers a range of eco-friendly yoga, Pilates, and meditation items designed in helping you to live a healthier, happier life. So in this episode, we're diving deep into the topic of dating. Relationships and dating is something that affects each and every one of us, yet so many of us spend so much time and energy focused on our research or on our professional lives, we neglect focusing time, energy and helpful resources on something that honestly matters most, how we show up for our loved ones and ourselves. So how do you know you're ready for a relationship? How do you know if your relationship is toxic or nourishing? And what part do you play in all of this? You've probably heard of the quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with, and your significant other plays a huge role in that. So how do you know that you are with the right person? And if so, what tools can you learn to truly show up for your significant other and give them what they deserve? So who better to answer these questions and many more than the beautiful Clara Artweger? Clara is a dating coach with an array of really well-articulated articles in which she shares her raw honesty and learnings in a very bold, personalized way. So with all of that, Clara, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that description of my work. I'm like, I, that's what I should tell people it is. So thank you for that. No worries. So Clara, I'd like to just begin by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself. What got you started on becoming a dating coach? Well, I definitely didn't choose this path. It chose me, which I think is probably the path of a lot of people who do personal development work either on themselves or with other people. I um, am 37. I just recently turned 37. And the bulk of my career was spent in marketing. So I worked with a wide variety of companies, but with primarily a focus on startups across my 20s and into my well, into my mid thirties, essentially, or early thirties, doing the brand development, brand marketing, communications, PR. I always say I was on the non-paid side of marketing. So nothing related to uh, paid advertising in some capacity, but everything rooted in brand building. And now I started that when I was 21. And now having you know worked for the last 16 years, I have such a different perspective on the work I did, the work I've done, why I was drawn to certain things. And the writing piece and the communication piece, even though now that I'm a coach and I'll explain that kind of journey is very different, although there's certainly an element of of marketing when it comes to building what I do, but I wouldn't say I was ever really that good at marketing, but I was good at communicating, reading people and understanding what they needed to hear in order to feel seen and then connected to a particular product or experience. So in the case of the brands that I was marketing, I understood how we could connect with people in a way that made it more about them and less about just shoving a product on them, which I suppose can sound a little manipulative in nature, but it's sort of like the, I think when marketing is done well, that's, you know, you are making someone feel more at home in themselves in connection with a particular thing that you're trying to sell for better or worse. Sometimes it's a good thing and and maybe other times it's more unhealthy, but that was the bulk of my career. And then in my early thirties, kind of right at the point where I was reaching the quote unquote pinnacle of what I thought I should be doing and what looked really good from the outside looking in. And I, that was very monetarily successful. I was miserable. And 
I got really sick. I basically, my anxiety went through the roof and I developed leaky gut, which some of your listeners may be familiar with based on topics you've covered in the past. And I had really severe SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So this was like a few year long journey, but I can see towards the tail end of that last job at my last company where I was leading marketing for the brand, there's a direct correlation between getting sick, being so misaligned in my life, really having to step away from that to care for my body, but that then leading me to coaching. So I was kind of pushed out of the nest. And parallel to all of that was from a very early age, because of the nature of my family, I say my parents are divorced, but it wasn't just divorce. There was just, I don't mean to put this lightly, but I I kind of see it all as data at this point. There was just a, a lot of things gone wrong on both sides in terms of relationship. Like I knew from a very young age, I was not going to be skilled in this area of my life. Like I just flat out didn't have good romantic models. Now doing the work that I do, it's very easy to think, oh, well, my parents stayed together or my life looked this way. So I should have a good romantic model. But in the event, I just knew intuitively from a very young age that romantic relationships were going to be uniquely hard for me. And that was actually a really big gift because I have to feel like career, money, love, like we feel this pressure to be innately really good at these things. And I think part of my journey was around like, I am not going to be good at this. And what can I lean on and do and give myself in order to learn about that, essentially? So before I ever became a dating relationships coach, which I had a lot of resistance to, I never I never thought I was an expert in this capacity. I had a sort of 20, 25-year journey of studying this within myself by way of my own research and working with therapists and coaches and all that kind of stuff. And then living in New York, in New York City, I'm based in New York. I I no longer live in the city. I live upstate, about two hours north in the country now. But I was single and I wanted to meet someone. And I had been in a long relationship for my 20s, but I'd never really dated. And so I just became the guinea pig in that regard. And I started to figure out, and I think we'll get to some of this today, but I started to figure out what was at the core of my dating struggle for me and how I could maneuver that. But from the outside looking in, friends were just like, oh, you're just so good at dating. You're just, this is Clara. She's the expert. And I remember thinking like, I'm not an expert. I've worked to understand my own obstacles to this. So those roads were kind of both converging as like my health was falling apart. I was waking up to the fact that I didn't want a long-term career in corporate marketing and climbing that ladder. And then I'd always had this sort of nagging like sense of like, if I could just tell people how I went about this, it wouldn't be so hard. Like I see the forest through the trees here in terms of how people are struggling. So that's a somewhat long and windy way of how I got into it. And I would say I officially started coaching in 2018 and it'll, yeah, I'm heading into my, my fifth year here. So it's been something I never anticipated, but really amazing in that way. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And it's so interesting because the amount of people that I talk to that have had something physical happen to them to cause a shift, yeah. you know, it's 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 truly amazing to see the mind-body connection and that it, it really is so interconnected. And sometimes if you're ignoring your 
tiny little voice in your head saying, hey, we should slow down, your physical body tends to do something to, to cause that, that shift. That wake up call that like, okay, you're not listening to me. Like something needs to change. Mm. Yeah. And it's just so awesome to see that you found something that truly resonates with you and uh, you, you're very good at it. Thank you. So I'd like to start for people who aren't in a relationship and they're looking at themselves and they're saying, okay, am I ready? Am I not? Because I understand that, you know, there's a lot of resources out there that say, if you are dealing with a lot of things and you go into relationship thinking that those things are going to be fixed all of a sudden, chances are they're probably not. They're going to show up again and again. Or if you've broken up with somebody for a specific reason, then you get into another relationship and then that same reason so happens to present itself. Then there's obviously something that you need to work on internally. So how do you want to talk us through a little bit about that for people who are not in a relationship but looking at starting one? Yeah, I think what you know what you were alluding to there and describing in terms of kind of like the parts of ourselves or the holes that we seek to fill with external resources. And an external resource can be everything from a chocolate bar to a relationship to a handbag and everything in between. Right. And we all have different kind of Achilles heels, if you will, around um, or weaknesses around what those things become that are just specific to us. In the area of relationship, I think when you're talking about what I gain from the relationship versus what I source internally, you know, as I was describing my kind of loosely my upbringing and 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 going on, you know, the, my whole kind of intimacy blueprinting around the nature of my parents' dynamic, the rupture of their marriage my dynamic with the two of them, what was passed on to them from their parents and then the previous relationships that they were in. All of that, think of it like computer programs building on computer programs, right? And there's this trickle down effect around how we love, how we show love, how we experience love, how we receive love, and really how we thrive or don't thrive in intimacy. And I think one of the things that we don't necessarily realize, and this is something I work often with clients on, is we think of intimacy as purely in the romantic sense, right? Between, you know, two people that are having, you know, intercourse or an intimate relationship in some sense. But our models for intimacy start at a very young age. And they are quite literally the bonds between our, you know, our parents, our parental models. It can be teacher figures, it can be mentors in some capacity. And the reason I bring all that up in the context of what you were describing is that all of that starts to inform our own sense of self, identity, securities, insecurities. Yeah, all that, that, that basically a wiring as to who we are. And so that can then impact what we seek in relationship and what we don't seek in relationship. And what we are seeking to be filled by relationship can either be fueled by a healthy sense of desire or an unhealthy kind of wounded sense of desire, something that we didn't receive from our previous caretakers in the past. So I think when people start to run into trouble around, or not even trouble, but when, I mean, relationships are so complicated and dating is complex and understanding the stuff within ourselves. I mean, this is the work I do day in, day out, working with men and women in their 30s and 40s, and sometimes their 50s. <laughs> I used to work with people in their 20s. I don't do that as much anymore, um, just because my sweet spot is more in that 30s and 40s space. But I am working with them to unpack and unravel and understand all of this stuff about myself. And I also sit in that position 
too. It's very much a lifelong journey in that way. But on the piece around, are you ready or not? My question would always be, do you have an understanding of your history of your intimacy blueprinting? Does that make sense? Mm, Definitely, definitely. So in order for you to be looking at somebody, it's really good to do some reflection first, maybe reflect on your past relationships, reflect on what keeps showing up in your life. Because if you're trying to fill that void with something, it's not necessarily going to be filled by relationship. Yeah. And patterns are, I mean, anytime I start working with a client, I mean, I have a a process and, and things that I specifically have them write about to draw out those patterns. But that's something that we can do ourselves. And patterns are absolutely, they're like gold. Like when I start to see a pattern in a client where they've had these similar problems across different relationships. And I also want to make a point to say that a lot of times I talk to people and they're like, I've never been in a relationship. And maybe they have had a crush or they went on a few dates with someone or they've had this kind of on again, off again scenario, or they really have just not been interacting with people in that way. That's a pattern too. And so anywhere you have like, yeah, I just keep getting into these scenarios where I feel X or I do X or such and such happens is a really helpful thing you can learn about yourself. Beautiful, beautiful. So for guys listening, really um, taking note, trying to find that pattern within yourself, because if you're consciously aware of those patterns, it would be a lot easier for you to then rectify those patterns in real life and, and change them to something that suits you. Okay, cool. And so now that um, you know we've sat down, we've done a lot of reflection, um, we've realized, okay, these issues keep showing up, you've potentially dealt with those issues, and you feel you're in the right space to actually go out and start meeting somebody. Or alternatively, you're like, ah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to go meet somebody anyway. Where are the best places to meet people? I understand, obviously, that's quite a vague question. But the reason I'm asking is I've got a lot of friends who you know are quite antisocial like these antisocial um computer sort of guys and they always come up to me or like talk to me like where can i meet people and also understand online dating like meeting people on tinder and so and bumble and whatever is quite a big thing um and so i was also curious firstly if there's any difference or what what you think if somebody's meets online what impact does that have on their relationship if any and um, if not if they meet in person if there's any specific areas to go to or things that they should be looking out for yeah, I'm going to answer that. You said one thing towards the end where, you know, if you meet someone online, does that impact things? And what I'll say, the short answer is no. And what I mean by that is that regardless of where you meet someone, whether it's in person or online, you're still going to be dealing with the same issues in getting to know someone and developing a relationship or the same obstacles that could, could come up or patterns or insecurity. So, so that's <laughs> the short answer there is no. To go back to your question of where, actually, I don't see it as a vague question, but it's one I receive often. And in the work that I do, and just in general, I'm always listening to the question below the question, because what the truth is, is that, well, you can meet someone anywhere. Our perception or our perspective on that is totally, totally different. So, you know, part of my work really started, and this was before I being a dating coach and doing this type of work was very, very far away at this point, not even on my radar. And I was living in New York City. I'd never really dated as an adult. I was 28 at this point in time and been in a relationship of someone I'd met 
in college or university for all of my 20s. And here I was kind of dropped out of the sky being like, okay, how do I go about this? And I hopped onto the apps because that's what was available. And I pretty quickly started to have just a shitty experience in the sense that I would meet someone, I'd see someone online, I'd swipe on them, we'd chat, we'd arrange to meet up. And then I'd get there and be like, this is awful. Like, I, I do not want to be sitting with this person. And so I felt a real disconnect between what I was experiencing digitally and then what, what I was experiencing in person. And I felt like I had no kind of control over that or any way of really navigating that in a way that felt like I was semi moving towards the thing that I wanted. And I started to get this desire to meet people in person. And I was like, I just, I'm at, you know, I'm, I live in New York city. I'm on the subway all day. Like I'm constantly seeing people. I'm being presented with people. I have no idea if they're available. I have no idea if, if I would be into them or they would be into me more so the, 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 the latter that would they be into me, but I am seeing people that I'm drawn to. And there was something about just acknowledging that the only thing standing between me and starting a conversation with someone at a cafe or asking someone what they were reading on the subway was fear. It was, and it was big. It was really, really scary. I, I definitely um, was <laughs> terrified of being rejected or sort of looked at like I had three heads, like, what are you doing? Kind of making conversation or small talk with me on the subway. You know, I'm looking at my phone and not talking to anyone kind of thing. But the reason I share that story is because it wasn't as if meeting people in person. And I, I did go on to meet many people and either have relationships or date people that I met out in the actual world. It was only, the only obstacle was the perception that, well, everyone's on the apps now and you can't just do that anymore. And that's not what happens. And that's too vulnerable or that's too scary. And really it was only the fear. It wasn't that I was physically incapable or couldn't talk to these people. It was just a risk in that way. And so when I think of the question, where should, where can you meet people? Yes, you can meet people online. There's kind of, I mean, we can go into that if we want, but definitely certain perceptions I have. I'm actually, I don't know when this is coming out, but I'm running a masterclass on, it will be December 15th, US, <laughs> East Coast US time on how to date more intuitively using the apps themselves. But when it comes to locations and where to be or where to go, there's a reason why we often meet people in the spaces that we frequent, whether it's the gym or work or a cafe that we go to often. And it's because it's something that's emblematic of our day-to-day -day routine, of the life that we're already living. And we're often more comfortable in those spaces. So I guess, yeah, just to kind of bring it back as to where to meet people, if people are asking that question, I would have them turn it back on themselves and say either, where do you think you can't meet people? How do you think you're supposed to meet people? Like, do you have an idea in your mind as to what it's supposed to look like? Because if that's informed by something outside of yourself, then it's not going to be authentic to you. I didn't tell anyone when I started meeting people in person that I was doing this because I didn't want to be met with opinions of like, that won't work. And the only person sitting between me and that pursuit was, was my own fear. So I hope that's, I hope that's helpful. I hope that, I hope that actually touched on your question.
Mm, definitely. And I think one thing I really like about your response is it brings the power back to you as an individual to say, I have the power in order to find this relationship. I'm not waiting for some external thing to just magically happen. I'm conquering my internal fear. I'm letting go of judgment from other people and, and, and trying to really show up for myself. And I am enough. And then from that space going and saying, you know, hey, my name is Alexa. It's nice to meet you. Uh, what are you reading? So it's, it's just really bringing that power back to yourself and knowing that you are okay. And uh, if people want to meet you, then that's phenomenal. And if they reject you, the worst thing that can really happen is they say no. And that's really not that bad. Although it may seem like it is, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. I really want to validate the fear there. And I think too, especially with dating, we have a lot of ideas around it being really hard and cumbersome and not integrating well with our current life. I work with a lot of women that are like, well, I just, I've prioritized my career and I work all the time and I'm like not willing to do anything to take away from that. And I myself was up against the same battle, but I, I got hooked on this idea. There has to be a way that I can take advantage or be more aware of the opportunities in my day to day. And it wasn't as if I walked out the door and like saw someone was like, Hey, are you single? You know, I probably over the course of several years, he did it like five to seven times, but many of those amounted to full on relationships because I do think it's easier to pe read people's energy and our connection with them in person or people that I dated for, you know, a period and, and that was good and nice and whatever, but it gave me to your point power. It just it really gave me a lot of power and lever leverage. I felt a tremendous sense of agency in my own pursuit of partnership. And I think one of the big fears we deal with, I know one of them is that we'll never meet someone. So the more agency that you feel within yourself, the more you can quell that fear. Because mm. it is interesting that there's a huge number of both males and females who, and I'm not saying it, it's bad to not get into a relationship in your 30s or 40s or, you know, whatever it may be, but there's a, a, a very large amount um, who just never end up finding relationship or go from relationship to relationship. And, I, and I'm sure you could touch on this. It's like actually a relationship, although it can be scary wanting to go into one, it can be so rewarding and so beautiful if you learn to cultivate that because, you know, you're learning about yourself as well as the other person and having that intimate relationship it's just, it's just such a beautiful thing, you know, and, and for people who, who never experience that, even though it may seem difficult sometimes, it really is something that you should try and put yourself out for to try and experience because the amount of growth that can happen in that, just like a growth in your professional life, if you spend a lot of time in that space, you know, you end up becoming quite well-renowned in your field. You know, the same thing can happen in a relationship is the more time and energy you put into that, the, the beautiful uh, the amount of beauty that that grows within that space is just amazing. And I would offer, because I definitely myself, and it's funny because I do this work, but I definitely sat in the camp of having a lot of fear and resistance to relationship. And what I would say to anyone that resonates with that or or connects to those feelings is the best thing you can do to your yourself is understand why that fear exists because we tend to like want to push it away and just maybe feel the societal pressure of like, I have to do this thing. I have to put myself out. There. I should want this. I do want this, you know, 
But what I always say is there's wisdom in the fear and the resistance. And when you learn what your resistance is about, like, again, coming back to agency and to leverage and actually finding pleasure in romantic relationship, in partnership, like that's how you tap into that to actually go deeper into the fear, the worry, whatever the emotion, whatever the emotion might be. Beautiful. And okay, so now you've met somebody, you've started dating them for a little while. How do you know if they're right for you? And, you know, going back to that quote I mentioned in the intro, where the more you hang out with somebody, you actually do start to merge in a way um, where you pick up some of their habits, they pick up some of yours. And an intimate partnership is probably the most influential, I would say, in your life because you just spend so much time with Mm -hmm. them over a prolonged period of time. So, you know, you may not notice the gradual shifts that happen in your life. And so it's just wondering what are some of the classic, let's say, tail signs that you're in a good relationship or or not? How can you, because if you, the way the mind works is you would normalize a lot of things. And so after a period of time, you may not realize like a frog in boiling water that you actually are in a seriously toxic relationship, or you may be hypersensitive to it and they may be doing nothing wrong. And you're like, oh, you just did this one thing, you know, you become that, that person. Um, so how do you know what checks and balances can you put in place? There are so many different ways that we could come at this, but for the sake of simplicity in this conversation, I would start with, and this is to the person who's in the relationship. How much are you yourself? How authentically are you yourself in the context of the relationship? And it would be how authentically you are showing up as yourself. And that, again, is a layered question. I'm going to bring it back to the beginning around really understanding our inner child work, our shadow work, like any of the wounds. And I don't care who you are, how good your upbringing or life was. It's not about it being good or bad. It's just having an understanding of the influence of that experience on the people you're attracted to, the nature of your relationships, and how you feel in relationship. And and that's it takes time to understand that. I just got married about a month ago. And I am still, you know, there there was so much learning across the previous 20 years of my life around my, you know, intimate patterns and why I chose certain men and why I ended up in certain relationships and why I would always end up feeling the same way. And I certainly didn't feel (laughs) authentic all the time or like those relationships brought up more of me, but I was also coming into myself in that capacity. And so it's, it's very much in, it's very much a dance in that sense, but they're in the relationship right now. I would say, yeah, check in with yourself around like, how much am I, am I myself here? What was I like pre-relationship? What am I like now? And am I, becoming more embodied, stepping more into myself, becoming a a more authentic version of myself. And if I'm not, what are the obstacles to that? Is that something my partner's actually doing? Or is that something I'm putting, I'm projecting onto them that, you know, well, now I I can't, I don't know, do such and such with my friends on Tuesday night, because I don't want him to be lonely. Is he saying that he's lonely? Or are you just projecting that he's going to be lonely? So really looking to how your life has shifted or not shifted. We could talk about all sorts of toxic patterns, but I actually think grounding in that exercise would be like, it covers a lot and would be really helpful for people. Mm, Definitely. Cause going back to, I think what we said previously is like the more, you know, yourself, then the easier it is to be open and receptive 
to other people. So if you're aware that, you know, maybe you don't like to spend a lot of time at parties, but the person that you're with loves to be around lots of people, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're aware that you don't have to conform to their norms. Or is there kind of like a balance as well? Because like I was understanding a relationship, you know, you are in a relationship with somebody else. So there does have to be some sort of compromises. You can't just be like, no, it's a hundred percent me. (laughs) This is my authentic self. (laughs) And then the person's like, well, you know, this, this isn't, this isn't fair. You know, I really like Chinese food. You got to go to Chinese food at least one time. So what would you say that balance would be then? How much can you try and merge with the other person? And how much should you say, no, these are actually my boundaries. This is who I am and I do not want to change. I'll use a couple of examples for myself because I think uh, I think that'll help people drop into their own lives. And so my husband, he's a musician. He's absolutely, he would see live music every single week if he could. And there's a particular band in the US that he's really into. And little did I know, like it is very significant for him to see them every year. And last year he kept saying, let's go, let's go. I have no interest whatsoever in <laughs> in partaking for a variety of reasons, largely because I don't like large crowds. I don't like loud noises. Like I don't do well at a rock concert, let's say. But I realized after the fact how important, because I kept saying when he was bringing it up, I was like, yeah, you should go. Go ahead. Go on. I'll stay home. I'll watch the dogs. I didn't realize how important it was to have that experience with one another together. And if it's, and he goes to multiple concerts, I do not go to them all. Uh, if he was saying I need to go to every single one, then that would be a boundary. I would say that that, <laughs> that is your desire and I'm not responsible for fulfilling that, but I will absolutely partake in something. And this also happens to be a band that we both like, right? And that he has introduced me to, and it's been this really like lovely element of our relationship. And when I saw in his saying, you know, like, they're coming, they're coming, you know, I want to see them, I see them. How he was really saying, I want to do this together. I'm like, oh, I, if it's that important to you, I can absolutely go once a year to see this band with you. And I'm sure I could name like many other examples in that capacity. If we weren't together, would I be going to this concert? Probably not. But I, I think it's about, you know, one of the, the, the biggest elements, and this is John Gottman and his wife is that he and they're couples therapists. I can't remember his wife's name. The last name is Gottman, but they're very famously wrote The Four Horsemen, which is around just qualities of a relationship. They have this like technique of uh, predicting like, something wild, like 96% whether a relationship will last. And one of the biggest indicators they tout is bids for affection or attention and and the partner actually receiving that so if your partner is like looking out the window and they're like oh my god look at this beautiful bird and you don't respond or you ignore them or you're like "Mm -hmm, whatever versus like taking the time to acknowledge something that they're interested in it doesn't need to be much and it certainly doesn't mean mean it needs to be every single time but that that being that bid is a very makes people feel supported makes them feel seen by one another and really um, promotes longevity in that way. So I'll be going to this concert every year. (laughs) 
That's so sweet because it's um I think does that fall under the four love languages as well as like each one of us has a specific way that we would like to be seen and for him you know his way of being like to be seen would also be experiencing this concert which he probably had done in the past but now yeah. he gets to share that with his significant other who loves that too and you guys get to share and expand that sense of happiness together and even though you may or may not be doing it for the band you're ex- Expanding that happiness with him because you're happy to see him so happy and you would love to share that space with him. Yeah. And and you, you hit on something really good there because that is a theme for him where it's not for me. I am fine to go off and experience things, watch movies, read books, do things like completely on my own and have my own little world of appreciating that. And for him, whether it's a movie or an album or a concert or a country, because he's traveled a lot, a country he's visited, He always wants to bring me there. He always wants to do it together. And that has been something for me to understand because I don't feel that way, you know, on some things I do, do, but other things, not so much. So I, you know, I, I, I choose my, (laughs) I choose my things I participate in, but yeah, it makes him feel really loved and makes him feel really loved. And that to me, like a perfect, if there is such a thing as a perfect relationship would be that you and your partner see each other and are happy to be in each other's lives in the sense that you see that he's really into those sort of things and you want to be a part of that, not necessarily he's seen, but you want him to, you're providing the space that he can explore himself and live his life, but you can also take part in some of those to expand that and vice versa. He can see you in the things that you enjoy and he would like to partake in some of those things because he would like to see you expanding within yourself. We know things. As I know, this is not what you're saying. There's certainly nothing that's a perfect relationship. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, for all of us, in many contexts in life, we all want to feel seen and be heard. We all want to feel seen and heard. And our romantic partners especially want that from us. And it can be, that's definitely been work for me to give that to another based on, you know, to go back again, my own conditioning of either wanting to hold that all for myself and kind of keep that inside versus like taking the time to nurture that in someone else. But yeah, he, the, absolutely. And, and he, he does that for me as well. And, and um, I know when I work with people and they, they want a co-captain, they want to co-create a life with someone. That's, that's what we're craving. See me in this. And I should also, you know, I just do want to preface and sort of add in that, like, there are many different, I think of them as sort of like different ingredients, resources that we lean on of, you know, friends, colleagues, yoga teacher, our therapist, our coach, our Reiki, like whatever it may be, there are different, you know, I have many people in my life that fill certain roles for me that are into the books I'm into or into the podcasts I'm into or whatever it may be. Right. And there are parts that like my partner acknowledges, but other parts where I'm like, I I really feel seen in this with them. And it should be that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can't have one person that fills every single role that you're expecting in your head because then that's going to fail. Yeah. You will be perpetually disappointed. So um, touching on that as well, you know, having each individual role that you would like to be filled, you mentioned affection as being one of those main cornerstones or um, issues that could potentially predict 
or a predictor that would say if you're going to be in a relationship for a long period or you're going to break up. What would you say then about like affection levels or, you know, going into the conversation of sex? Like, is there a specific right amount that you should be having? Or is there like, how do you know that you're on the same level with that? Or is that also something that you can compromise mm-hmm. Um, you know, if somebody's not that affectionate, but you expect a high amount of affection, you know, obviously that's not necessarily something that you can pass off to any one of your friends or that may be a bit weird. So how can you find a common ground in that space? Or is that something, you know, on the first date you're like, where do you sit on this level? And if it doesn't match, then, you know, later on. Yeah, I think we all need to give ourselves a big permission slip and a hall pass around sex being way more nuanced and complex for us. And I don't mean that it has to be hard, but that the sexual intimacy of a relationship can look a lot of different ways, depending on the couple, depending on the two people. And so I think we just need a whole lot more room for that and really space for ourselves to get to know our own sexuality and our own desires, which I think, you know, in the in the past decade and certainly beyond, it's much more the conversation is much more fluid in that regard, but I don't think at all there's any, I wouldn't be the one to say that there's a right amount someone should be having sex or how they should be going about it. Even in dating, when people say, you know, at what point should you be sexually intimate or, you know, some article will throw out that, you know, wait three dates until such and such should happen. I mean, yeah, once you start having sex with someone, like the hormones come into play and your judgment around the health of a relationship, because Actually, I heard this said so well the other day that it was like usually the people that we have the most intense sexual connection with, it's kind of manic in nature. It's like you can't really shut it off are often the people that that are the most unhealthy for us. So again, it comes back to ourselves and really learning to understand that energy within us and that dynamic within us and how we communicate our needs in the bedroom, what our sexual history is like. If we've, God forbid, suffered, you know, abuse or assault or, you know, not even, you know, just that, but just the perceptions, how sex was spoken about and approached and discussed in the environment we we grew up in. When were we first sexually active? It, it's really about understanding our own history there. And from there, building a relationship with sex with yourself within, within the context of the, the partnership that works for the two of you. But I also think it's completely fine for partners to have varying sexual needs. And, and you know, as long as you're willing to work together to meet those needs for one another. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find, especially given the nature of genders and how that differs um, and and hormones, just literally the hunger and the cycle of of desire hormonally. So I would say knowing it within yourself and then also being able to work with your partner on creating a sex life that serves you both. Because mm, it's it's just such an interesting topic. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'd probably talk about it for a lot longer because it, when you look at like evolution, right, and you look at all animals in the animal kingdom, besides like dolphins and a handful of other ones would have sex for pleasure, including humans. Most other animals do it for reproduction. And then when you look at humans, it's not just then for reproduction, it's for pleasure as well. But then there's also a social connotation where like the West 
has, you know, in my opinion, become heavily sexualized where, you know, um, social media, particularly you bombarded with like hyper sexualized images of predominantly females. And I understand that that's associated with sales. Um, you know, if there's a, a nice car or something, there's usually a girl in like really tight tights or whatever it may be. Anyway, and so you built this construct of like, I don't know what that all looks like. And within a relationship, it can be such an interesting thing because like you're saying different people would be brought up in different environments or there may be a higher amount of expectation or maybe you've built up something in your head that it's supposed to be something like way more magical than maybe it even is you know what happens if it actually is just an animalistic kind of thing or what happens if it does bond two people or you know maybe it's because a lot of people are very much in their heads you know we we spend so much time thinking about different things or studying different things or whatever it may be and how many people actually feel into their body and that's I think where yoga is such a beautiful practice because any movement really is you're focusing on your body and you you're doing conscious movements so bring you back to say, you know, I'm not just my brain, I'm, I'm actually everything that it, it's including, you know. And I think sex plays a big part in that because you can't be in your head when you are <laughs> procreating. It's, it's a very physical action. And so it's like, how much are you expanding or how much are you building this up? Or, you know, maybe it's not such a, not such a big... There's so much there that you said that I really want to hit on, Alexa. And, I'll, and I'm, I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm most certainly an open book, but I believe deeply in, in teaching through our own stories if we're comfortable in sharing them. And that's why I share so much of mine, but sex has been a a journey for me. And it's interesting you bring up yoga because it's by way of yoga. And I also practice Pilates that I have been able to tap most deeply into my own body and thus my sexual energy and my desire and the sense of that desire from literally like the core of who I am. And the other thing I want to say, and this was actually, I was recording, I have a podcast myself and I was recording an episode earlier today with a dear friend of mine who recently moved from the States to Costa Rica. And I was asking her around this, just the decision to make that because it was a pretty major move and her life was really grounded there. And I said, what, what led you to do that? And she said, I had never felt so turned on by a location. And I think we think about sexual energy, feeling turned on feeling, which is really just a, a way of saying feeling alive and connected and awake in our bodies, we tend to relegate it to the act of sex, the act of intercourse, the act of, you know, getting into bed with someone or whatever it may be. But I think like to think about what really turns you on, it can be a space, a workout class, a type of food. And I, if we can see sex on a greater spectrum with those things, I think that we're, we'll actually like all ships rise in that sense. Like we'll actually tap into a more pleasurable life, which is kind of the point of it all. And one thing I'll share just, and I want to, you know, give the floor back to you is that when women, after they've had babies, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, issues around, or just it's, it's, you've gone through this big life event, not to say that you're going to have issues with sex, but it can be difficult now that you have birthed this baby, you have this new body in many ways in a relationship with your body to then return to having sex or seeing your body in that way. And so um, Emily Nagowski, and she also writes with her sister, so forgive me, but she wrote Come As You Are. Um, she recently did a book on burnout, really, really brilliant. But I always think of her painting the picture of the woman who is a parent, works full time, worn out and tired. If the partner or the husband wants wants to have sex she's like draw a bath 
hand her a glass of wine, say you'll put the kids to bed and let her have that, that moment to herself in her body to return to herself, to build pleasure in these other elements where she's just with herself. And that then will be a gateway to the actual act of sex. I'm not saying it's a, you know, every woman that will work for, I use it as an, as an example because it starts with her pleasuring herself, which also includes just space to herself. So I just think the whole spectrum, and I'm actually like, as I say this right now, I'm like, oh, I could do some of that work on myself. <laughs> it's really interesting. Mm, it honestly is because it is just such a multifaceted response. And it's something that everybody, every single person alive is going to either be partaking in this act or alternatively going to be thinking about it. I mean, it's one of our core areas of being human, you know, and, and yet it's such a topic that I think a lot of people don't necessarily talk about or teach or, or if they do talk about it um, or show any exposure that we get as a random pedestrian is like hyper-sexualized images. And, um, you know, it's quite a lot, you know, and it's like, well, where do you fit into that? And, and what is healthy? Because what's being projected as healthy is just being highly erotic 24-7. And there's nothing, you know, some people are like that and that's great. And some people are on the polar opposite end of the spectrum. And I think when you are joining partnership with somebody similar to those um, activities we're talking about earlier like going to music concerts you know there's always got to be how can I best see this other person and um, what does that look like and within a relationship that touches on so many different topics and and that's why like as I was saying in the beginning you know when you have a relationship it's such a cool thing to be involved in because you are growing so much within that relationship if you are doing it consciously learning about yourself like what is working what is not working why am i like this why am i not like this does this sit well with me and and like you 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 put so well it's like the whole point of this is to simply enjoy our life like it sounds a bit morbid but you know everybody is going to die and in two generations we probably are not even going to be remembered at all and so sometimes you think well what's the point and it's like well you know, to really just live this life to what you feel is beautiful. And that could be adding something to the culture, you know, creating some amazing research or, or whatever. And it, it could also just be, yeah, wh whatever that looks like for you. And I think that that's quite a cool thing to keep reminding yourself and not to get too carried away with all these external expectations that may or may not even be accurate. I mean, part of why I got into this work was just relationships are the greatest mirror for our growth. Um, but we have to be willing to have to is not the right word, but like, it's a choice, it's a choice to see that and to do that. And it, it can, it's wonderful and it can be, it can be really hard. And in a, um, you know, now uh, probably in the past few years, uh, divorce rates have gone through the roof. And so a lot of people are getting divorced and, you know, I, well, how do you know when you're in a relationship and let's say not even married, just in a, in a relationship, how do you know that that relationship is something that you should work on together and say, hey, both of us should work on this or it's, hey, this has gone past repair and this is actually damaging and, and quite frankly, like we're, we're harming each other? Well, first I'll say, and I'll even say this to someone who just got married, there is so much uncertainty in life and only so much that we can control. And mostly all that we can control is ourselves and how we show up, what I was looking for and what I encourage people to look for in partnership is, is really two people's willingness to do the individual work on themselves, the work together, and to continually show up 
in that way. Doesn't mean that it's always sort of a straight and narrow. It's never a straight and narrow or linear line. It's it's bumpy, but it requires a level of self-awareness and groundedness in self in order to do that. I mean, when I came to um, my, my now marriage a couple of years ago, and I would say the same for my husband, what we both kind of came to the table was with was here's how I'm flawed. <laughs> here's how I've screwed up in the past. Here's what I'm working on in myself and here's how I'm doing it. And that made me feel really safe. And, and so I would say if you're seeing someone and I've had this with clients where they want to do some type of work with their partner or they're moving through a hard phase and they want to try certain things, a partner is just not willing. And that isn't, I mean, it's painful, but that is also their right. And I think, you know, if you're in something, if there's a level of forcing, if you keep having the same arguments over and over again, like it's like Groundhog's Day and you're nothing's really changing, you see, keep coming up against the same feelings within yourself of feeling like this person doesn't show up for me or I don't feel seen or I'm not genuinely happy in this. And again, you got to be able to decipher what you should be sourcing from within yourself versus externally. Those are things to start to get honest about. You know, I, I think that many people can stay in relationships out of a fear of never meeting someone else or yeah, just that, or this never, you know, this being good enough and something else not working out. So getting really honest with ourselves about that, that's what I would say. It's hard. It's hard. Mm, beautiful. No, I think you, you articulated that really well. That's some pretty good nuggets there. <laughs> and so, oh, good. so just to kind of summarize, um, you know, what sort of resources do you have for people who want to dive deeper into this sort of topic? I know that you just mentioned that you're um, doing a masterclass, which I'll definitely link in the show notes below if people are interested in, in attending. Are there any other resources that you would recommend either reading or, or going to or? Mm, yeah, well, so my brand or my company is I Think I Like You. And it's, I think I like you.co. And yes, there is a masterclass. It's a 90 minute class on dating more intuitively. I'm doing that. Um, and that's really about reading energy, reading other people's energy, grounding into yourself, understanding yourself. That's going to be on December 15th. And I actually think the timing of work for folks in Australia, because it's going to be from seven to eight 30 at night. So it, it would fall on December 16th for you all. Um, and then I have many courses on my own website. I have a podcast where I cover a lot of stuff and I have a lot of writing on my website, which honestly I've had people who have just read numerous articles or all that I've written and they message me on Instagram and they're like, and now I'm in a relationship. I do work one-on-one -on -one with people. So that's, that's all on my website, but I, in terms of resources, I think the resource starts, it's not a resource, it's a choice. And if you are not satisfied with your relationships or you want a relationship and that hasn't come to fruition for you just yet, it first starts with getting really honest with yourself around like looking at what's going on. And a huge thing that I do, and that's why I do it in my work, but I also do it with clients is writing is putting pen to paper around what is showing up for you. How are you feeling? Obviously that can be much more powerful if done in conjunction with a therapist or a coach, but something I used to do, I did this, I still do it. I did it across my twenties and I do it both with books and I would do it with podcasts and I would listen to some, let's say it with, take it with a podcast. 
And you could, maybe you would do it with something like this, right? But I would listen to some expert or someone I really admired. And then maybe they were talking about dating unavailable men or codependency or toxic relationships or dating narcissists or whatever. Like, and I would listen and I would pause and I would write down something I would say. And then I would like write what that brought up in me. And then I would keep going. I really treated them. It was like a combination of meditation and then journaling practices and hearing certain, you know, if you're listening to this, there's probably something, one thing or two things in the entire episode that had you go like, oh, oh my God, I feel so seen or that I really relate to that. Like that's a signal to go deeper there. And the same thing can happen in books, in articles. It's why when I work with clients, I mail them physical books. Well, I send them to them. And then, and the reason I have them do that is because they're assigned chapters. And then I say, underline passages that really resonate with you and then send me screenshots or send me pictures of them. And it's because when I know what's resonating with them, I can better understand what they're struggling with them in themselves and what they're mostly connecting to. But we can do the same thing for ourselves on our own. I'm doing that right now with Louise Hayes. And this is like a, it's been around for 30 years. I think it might be like 35 years old. You Can Heal Your Life. That's a book that I just picked up. In terms of my classics, like if I say to people, if I had three books to recommend, only three books to recommend, if you wanted to start to dig in on yourself and your patterns and your life, they would be Broken Open, How Difficult Times Help Us Grow. That's by Elizabeth Lesser. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Love that book. And what would be my third that I would choose? I think probably... Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. That was, I'm actually just about, I'm going to do it probably this week or early next, sometime in December. I'm going to put together a book list for people. Just, you know, how I phrase it is like, if you're sort of in this state in your life, I recommend this book. If you're in this state of your life, I recommend this book. So yeah, that that's what I would recommend. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. It's not just because we're in an um, information age where there's nothing, there's an abundance of resources out there. And in fact, there's so many that sometimes people, I know myself sometimes will go into something, but then you, you read something and then the next and then the next, or you watch one YouTube video, which is filled with amazing information, but then you watch the next and the next and the next. And then eventually, like if somebody mentions it in conversation, it may light a few uh, neural pathways, but when you dive deep into something, like you said, you really actually can make that shift. You can really actually go in and, 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 and absorb that information and use it to change your life rather than just next, next. The integration is so key. And that's what I see a lot of people lacking. And you hit on, you know, with the piece on neural pathways there, like the majority of our patterns and behaviors and relationships is subconscious. So we actually can't see it. Like I'm sort of putting my hand in front of my face, like we can't see it, but we know we've hit on something. We've all had that experience where you read a passage or you hear some words, like I said before, and you're like, sort of hits you dead between the eyes. Like you're just like, oh my God, I, I feel just woken up by that. That's a sign to go deeper. So yeah, I think we can do like less is more in that sense. Pick a podcast, pick a book, and take the writing practice to it. That's why I'm a fan of physical books, but I understand. <laughs> I understand we can't all do that, you know, so. Love it, yeah. love it, love it. And um, just to finish off, I love to just ask, you know, obviously being a podcast, what is the one message that you would love to share with the world if you had one? It goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think there can be a lot of shame around 
people struggling in relationship or relationships being hard, romantic relationships being something that hasn't come to fruition and they don't know how to get there. And I just say the more that we can let that shame and that fear breathe and see it as like our conduit and and really lean into it to better understand why it's there, the more progress we'll make. And the, the sort of the, the lighter we'll feel because of the weight that we're taking off, off ourselves. So I almost got into this work because I wanted more permission for relationships and the whole package of it, dating, sex, romance, intimacy, all that jazz, marriage, long-term partnership. Be like, damn, this is hard. <laughs> Can we just acknowledge how hard this is? And um, so that's that's what I would say. That's what I would want people to take away, the, the a permission around it being complicated and nuanced and hard, wonderful and joyful, but also hard. Powerful. Very powerful. Oh, thank you so much, Clara, for joining us today. This has been a very informative conversation about dating and relationships. Uh, so I really do appreciate you taking the time. And guys, I really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Thank you.